Welcome, everyone. Today, we are going to have a conversation with Marlene Zabayan of Rutland Associates about the impact of COVID-19 on mobility. Before we get started, I have a few announcements I wanted to just share with everybody. First of all, you can subscribe to this podcast on our website to get notifications about new episodes. This podcast is available on all of the main podcast apps, such as Apple or Spotify or Stitcher and so on. You can access and subscribe to it there as well. I also want to mention that if you haven't already heard, the NESPP conference has gone virtual this year. We have over 100 speakers and 45 hours plus of content, so it will be content heavy. It is going to take place in September. It will be in small bursts between September 1st through 10th with on-demand, let me say that again, September 1st through 10th with on-demand access to the sessions through the month of September. We will be covering a range of topics, and yes, some of them will be COVID-19 related, but there will be many other topics uh, spanning equity compensation as well. We have some great keynotes planned for this conference. So we have Mel Robbins, who is a CEO and best-selling author. We have Julia Landauer, who is a NASCAR champion. We have Seku Andrews, who's a poetic voice author. And we are super excited about these speakers. So I know we can all use a little inspiration right now, and I feel like they will deliver on really helping us think beyond equity compensation about other topics um, that we can kind of bring back in and relate to our lives and our business. So for more information about the conference, visit conference.naspp.com. And now we'll move on to the topic of our day. So as we all know, business operations around the world were pretty abruptly impacted by COVID-19. I've heard many stories about companies sending employees home, you know, home to work literally overnight. Some of these employees live in other states. Some people might have been on vacation and got stuck. And others, you know, might be home working now and they're just tired of the monotony of staying at home and they've decided to relocate somewhere else temporarily. So I'm really glad that we have Marlene Sabayan with us today because all of this movement around outside the company office is raising quite a few questions about, you know, are these people mobile and what do we do about it? And we're going to get, dive right in the moment, but before I do, I just want to let you know that Marlene, she's a partner of Rutland Associates, LLC. She has more than 20 years of international tax and benefits experience, including global equity plans, mobile employee taxation, and global compensation and benefits. So I cannot think of a better speaker uh, to help us navigate uh, some of these questions that we're experiencing around mobility today. So welcome, Marlene. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So let's just kind of take it high level to start out. So I want to just explore with you what, what impact has COVID-19, this pandemic, had on mobility? I threw out a couple of things that I had heard, but I'm sure you've got other scenarios and things that have surfaced in terms of thinking through mobility. Yes, um, it's actually had a surprisingly profound effect on mobility, which I have to say it was um, surprising to me because when we first started with sheltering in place and countries were shutting down and offices were shutting down and telling employees to work from home, I immediately thought, and I, I do a lot of work in the mobility space, I immediately thought, well, I'm going to have a quite a few months while companies don't send people overseas. And it is 
a, an oxymoron almost to say that sheltering in place has caused a whole host of mobility issues that um, I know I personally had not um, anticipated. But you hit many of the examples um, in your intro, Jeff. I, I feel like we're seeing three different buckets of situations. Um, the first bucket is those individuals who were on a trip, um, whether it was a business trip or to visit family. And in fact, some of my clients have had um, individuals who had gone uh, back to a, a home country to get a visa renewal. And then suddenly the consulate shuts down, flights get canceled, they're told to shelter in place and they get stuck there. Um, that's sort of the first bucket of um, individuals that um, we're seeing. The second bucket are those people that you also mentioned which are the ones that were told to, you know, offices are shut, go work from home, um, and then they either their home is in a different state, and that may not have mattered while they were physically working in the office, but now it, it might. Um, or they've decided that actually, um, why, why, work, why work from home on my own in my apartment? I should go be with family and help them and that might be across the state or even in a different country, um, some of them might have lease renewals up and instead of renewing an expensive lease when they're working from, from the apartment all alone, they've decided to go back to their family home which may be in another state or country and work remotely from there. So that's the second group of individuals that we've seen um, and those seem to be by far the, the largest group at the moment. And we've actually seen a third type, which isn't so much caused by mobility, it's almost the lack of mobility, which are new hires that were due to go to start employment somewhere else, but um, they either can't get the visas because the consulates are closed or the travel restrictions mean that they can't physically move. And, and also, why would employers call, uh, let me start that again. And also, why would employers ask somebody to move if the offices are shut so that these employees are now going to be working remotely from a new house where they don't know anybody versus where they were before? And, and this type of um, sort of virtual mobility really creates issues because they have an employment somewhere else, but they're working remotely from their former home country or home state. So we, we've seen all of these three types, and they all create mobility challenges for companies. Um, most US states and most countries um, tax individuals based on income where they are A, resident, but B, also physically working. So if you're physically working from a state or a country, um, even if you're not fully resident there, you may be subject to tax on the income you earned based on your work days there. And that also means that the employer might have employer tax obligations, income reporting, tax withholding related to your to the employee's presence there. Um, and, and then there's a whole host of other issues that have um, that, that arise. Issues such as do you have the right visa to be working where you're working from? What are the labor law issues that arise based on um, your presence in that particular location um, and does the company, because they have an employee working in a location where the company may not have had a presence before, 
are they now, do they now um, deemed to have a physical presence in that entity and does that lead to a corporate tax um, or a business registration liability for them? So there's a whole host of issues that have arisen all through this pandemic. And just hearing you describe them, you know, I've heard questions bubbling up here and there and it's like, oh my goodness, this really is a significant issue because, you know, there are so many of these situations. And so just kind of thinking through that and listening to all the, you know, the variety of buckets and um, types of situations that could be considered mobility, are there any exemptions for employees that are caught in these situations? That's a really good question. So um, typically there are some exemptions for employees who are working temporarily, particularly across country lines. If, you're, um, if the country that you're resident in and the country that you're working temporarily in have a double tax treaty, then some of your income could may be exempt provided that you meet the treaty conditions for tax relief. And I should, I should also point out that tax treaties typically apply to income taxes. You'd also need, hopefully the, the two countries also have what's known as a totalization agreement so that you're not subject to double social security taxes as well. Now, in April, um, an organization called the um, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development published a, some guidance on this. So the um, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, known as OECD, is really just an organization that has no statutory power, but they have a lot of um, countries that sign up and are members of their organization, they produce a number of white papers or guidance for countries how to deal with double taxation, not just on income, but they, they look at all sorts of taxes across the board and what would be a fair way of taxing international business or cross-border trade. Um, they issued a paper early in April called, not very, not very glamorously, the Secretariat Analysis of Tax Treaties and the Impact of COVID-19 Crisis. And basically, I'm going to boil down their nine-page paper into sort of a couple of sentences. They basically said that countries should really ignore those individuals who have been forced to remain in that country due to COVID-19, and they could ignore them both from a physical presence perspective um, as well as the corporate tax implications um, that they bring doing work for their employer in another country in this particular country. Um, that, that paper is widely, um, it is available through a, a online search, um, so it's accessible to anybody. Now, OECD only provides guidance, um, and so it's up to each country then to say whether or not they adopt the, that, that guidance. Um, and, but this has been taken up by many countries, including the US. Um, the IRS issued Revenue Proclamation 2020-20, which basically said that the IRS is prepared to ignore up to 60 days of presence in the US if somebody is forced to stay here um, because of travel restrictions or they physically can't get on a plane and no planes are available to take them. Um, there are certain uh, restrictions or you know, certain conditions in order to meet the exemptions here. And this is important because the US um, 
treats residents based on two things. If you are a green card holder or a U.S. citizen, you're automatically treated as being resident in the U.S. But the other residence test is one of physical presence, which says that you look at how many days somebody is present in the U.S. in the current year, and if that's at least 31, you then count the number of days in the current year, one-third of the days in the prior year, so that would for 2020, that would be one-third of the days in 2019, and then one-sixth of the days two years ago, so 2018, one-sixth of the days. And if your numbers add up to 183 days or more, then you are deemed to be U.S. resident. Now, there are exemptions for people who have medical conditions. So if, for example, you were intending to leave, but you got into a car crash and needed to you know, recover in a hospital, those days typically wouldn't count as a physical presence test. But there were no exemptions in the past for individuals who may have um, just been unable to travel because of travel restrictions. And so the, the revenue proclamation um, does, does allow people who meet the conditions um, within it, and I'm not going to go through all of those, um, to exclude up to 60 days of uh, US presence that they're forced to be here when they um, hadn't planned on being. And other countries have issued similar guidelines. Certainly, India, Ireland, UK have all said, um, again, each country has its own terms and conditions, but they've all said that they would ignore any forced days of um, presence in those countries. Singapore has issued its own um, guidance around this. And, and to their credit, several states have also issued guidance but the guidance I've seen on the U.S. state side has been more about corporate taxes. So several states have issued guidance that said they would ignore any corporate presence created by employees working from that state where those employees would normally be employed in an office that was in another state. And um, you know, Indiana, Mississippi, Pennsylvania, even D.C. are examples of such um, of, of states that have issued this guidance. Um, I should also note, and this isn't necessarily related to equity or even mobility, but um, many countries have also included tax exemptions for reimbursements um, for employee reimbursements to help with remote working equipment. Uh, so if your company is one of those that is providing equipment or some sort of subsidy to employees to help them work from home, whether it's equipment such as monitors or printers, or it's to help them with the cost of additional cell phone usage or additional internet, certain countries have um, provided guidance along those lines as well. So it's promising that there have been you know, some guidelines and exemptions and considerations outlined. Certainly, I think that uh, helps companies try to figure out what to do. But I guess the overarching question is, what should companies be doing in this situation? Yeah, so there's, um, obviously this depends on the company and, and the situations that, that they are in, but I think so the first two things that companies should do, and this isn't, again, so much on the stock side, but it's to make sure that their employees, especially those that have been stuck in a particular um, country or state and can't get home, have uh, are 
safe and have the resources that they need in order to you know find temporary housing etc and i know that one of the other um urgent aspects of this is making sure that the it can secure the the information and get vpn out to everybody um who's working remotely but from a tax perspective the first thing that you need to do as a company is to decide actively to deal with this situation. And lots of different departments have a stake in, in this, whether it's legal from a visa and immigration perspective, whether it's HR from a benefit standpoint, corporate tax from a corporate tax presence perspective, and also stock and payroll. And I really have urged my clients to take a holistic approach to this you in a stock department cannot decide to allocate income to a temporary state where the employee is working if payroll is saying no we're only going to pretend that we're, we're going to treat the employee as if they'd never left their employment state whatsoever so you've really got to be consistent on a company level um and and that obviously includes the whole range of items um, i can only comment on the income tax perspective but I will say that if you are going to ask employees where they are, you need to prepare to deal with the results of that. Um, if you're going to survey your employees, you need to be prepared to deal with the results of that survey. So the first thing to do is to really create a remote working policy if you don't have one. If you have one, make sure that it's aligned and, and can deal with the existing, what we all hope is the temporary state of uh, COVID-19. Um, make sure that the, the any policies you set up for the pandemic are it's very clear whether they are temporary until the offices reopen or they're going to be ongoing um, determine who can work where um, for example are you going to allow employees to work in country across a border maybe where a, there is a treaty with the u.s are you going to allow them to work in countries and states only where you might have an existing entity or already registered for payroll um, and obviously if employees are stuck in that very first category we talked about which is before you know they're stuck due to um, travel restrictions then there's very limited things you can do there but you may want to ask employees not to work until their their situation gets um, gets resolved um, and that so that's always a possibility as well um, but for those employees that are maybe working across a border due to their own um, situation, you, you may even need to ask them to come back after a certain number of days or not work in that other location where you may not have a physical presence as an entity or a um, treaty with, um, with the U.S. Then you've got to deal with the taxation. Once you've set up the policy, established who your employees are, you've got to deal with the income tax consequences of these employees that are working remotely. Obviously, talk to your corporate advisors on this, but the first thing to do is really to determine the rules of where the employees are. Are they creating a taxable presence? Are there going to be any exemptions available for them? And again, the exemptions could come from a country unilaterally in their own um, from their own perspective ignoring a certain number of um, days of presence it could come through a tax treaty or a reciprocity agreement between um, two states 
or it could come through a COVID-19 exemption that may have been set up. Now, a lot of those COVID-19 exemptions are only going to apply to situations where the employees have been forced to be there. If the employees have willingly gone to that location, maybe they, they might not be able to avail of those. And then also you need to determine the rules of where they came from. If they're working somewhere else temporarily, they may not have broken residency in their old employment location. And so they may end up being taxed in two jurisdictions. There may be tax credits that one, um, one state gives to another, but you've got to look at all the tax rules in both, um, both their employment location, their remote working location, and what treaties or exemptions may apply to those um, situations. The other thing that um, you should address is whether you will allow employees to change their address for payroll purposes. Um, and this is a much sort of deeper conversation, but should be addressed maybe in the policy that you are dealing with, it, creating. So one school of thought is that as an employer, you cannot determine an employee's residency. Where an employee's resident is it's a deeply personal um, determination, including things like what housing is available to them, where their family is, where their driver's license, um, voter registration, et cetera, is. As, and as an employer, you may not know all these things. But I've had situations where companies have been asked to change their um, payroll address. And they've had to say, well, look, you're only there temporarily, and you're going to be asked to come back here when the office is open. So is this really something that you might want to do as an employee? Not forgetting the fact that um, not forgetting the fact that it might be a location where the employee does the employer does not want the employee to work from because they may not have a corporate presence in that particular location. Obviously, if you do decide the employees can work remotely from another location, you need to do you need to warn them that they may have a trading liability for any. Um, income that they get either from their equity compensation or even annual bonuses, if there's going to be annual bonuses for 2020, that some of it may, may relate back to a time where they were um, in their employment location. Well, it sounds like there are a lot of things companies need to be considered and definitely a lot of layers. And, you know, sometimes a simple question just seems to have complexity to it and um, the more you dive into it, the more questions there are. So I definitely appreciate you laying a lot of this out for us. And I certainly was taking notes, and I love the idea of a remote working policy. I'm not sure how many companies have actually thought about that, but I would definitely grab onto that as something that should be explored further and trying to address some of these situations. So I want to shift a little bit now to, I know we've talked about some of the dialogue that could go on between the employer and employee about you know, where they're at or, um, you know, just things around these situations. But I want to shift a little bit to the messaging now that companies should be putting out to their employees. So in terms of, you know, whether you're getting questions, some companies probably are, others it may not even be on the radar with their employees. So what do you suggest that companies do to kind of message out to their employees about some of these mobility considerations? Well, I, I think they need to t 
tell employees what their policy is um, once they have one and what the employees can and can't do with regards to that policy. Where can they work from? Where, you know, where, what kinds of work can they do? Because certain types of work actually create more of a corporate risk in, in a temporary location than other types of work. Can they, again, can they work from a location where the company doesn't have an entity or isn't registered for payroll? Um, and sort of explaining those things to your employees is, might be important. And how long can they work there for? Is, is the company, for example, prepared to ignore a certain number of days? You're, you're going to help um, an elderly parent for a while or help a family member for a while. And certainly that's a very empathetic and wonderful thing to do as an employer. So maybe you just let some of those shorter term remote working things, um, you sort of let the employees do that, but then long term you might want them to be in another um, state or location. So being clear about the communications around that and the reasons why I think would help a lot and what the com company will support would, would be very helpful. And also whether you will allow changes to payroll, for example, um, if a situation is temporary, will you allow the employees to change their payroll taxes or will you just let them be um, taxed in both locations because you know that that is probably what's going to end up being the true liability. And I think in terms of taxation, there are two big things that companies do need to communicate. One is that you are going to have what's known as a trailing tax liability back to your employment location or even into the location you are now. Any location that you are in working while you have, say, an equity award or a bonus and you're earning towards that um, towards that equity award or bonus is likely to want to tax a part of the income, even if the income is not recognized, you know, the RSU isn't vesting or the option isn't exercised until much later, you are going to have a, um, a liability back to that uh, location. Um, and also that the employer obligations typically mirror the employee liability. I think a lot of companies get scared when it comes to mobility taxation because they have this feeling that the, um, they're doing this to the employee, and that is simply not true. The employee has a liability probably to every location that they work in on, during the lifetime of their employment, subject to any exemptions that, might be, um, that they might be able to avail of. So any corporate compliance that you do isn't necessarily um, impinging on the employee. It actually supports them being able to um, be compliant with their own liability. So I think there's a lot that um, companies could tell their employees and, and they should be transparent and upfront about it to the extent that they can. Great recommendations there. Um, so just kind of circling back, I know you've thrown out a lot for people to think about. So I just want to holistically ask you, you know, are there any other tips you would share or best practices for people to consider as they're trying to navigate with these mobility issues and considerations? I, th I think my sort of overall tips are, um, it is, you know, it is a very complicated situation and these are situations that touch very deeply into an employee's personal life, uh, sometimes to the extent of touching on the health and welfare of their, you know, 
their family or their extended family. So on the one hand, I, I do caution my clients that sometimes you just have to say no, you can't work from there, you know, give, be able to send hard messages to employees. But you also have to balance that with having an empathetic approach because it is a, a stressful time and, you, and companies do have to have that balance between tough messaging versus empathy for any personal situations. So I don't think this is easy for anyone at this point. Most definitely not, but I think information can be power and knowledge can really help us move forward. So I really appreciate you sharing your expertise. And I know you've been navigating this and following this closely as well. So really appreciate all of your insights. And I do want to point people to a couple of resources. So we do have a blog that Marlene has written available on the NESTP website. We will put that uh, link in the resources section of our podcast uh, notes for this page um, for this particular episode. And Marlene, I want to thank you. Really appreciate your time and sharing your information and knowledge and insights with us. And glad to have you. Thank you. My pleasure.